Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to the second week of our series entitled Imperfect. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us? Every one of our campuses, so good to have you guys with us. We are in part two of a four-part series entitled Perfect. And here's the study. We're looking at the life of David. Now, I just want to qualify one thing. People have asked me, Pastor, why are you holding a microphone? Why this? Are you trying? Because there's like this move among young, cool preachers to use a microphone like this. Number one, I'm not young, but I'm very cool. The reason why I'm using it, by the way, is because of my voice. I've been struggling this last year, and uh, I've always wanted to have a voice. Praise God, like this. Anyway, I may get something to wipe the sweat off my head. But nonetheless, I am excited. How many y'all excited to be in church? Come on now. Man, we're excited. Excited to have every single one of you joining us live as well, online and Facebook live. We are fired up because I'm looking at a man. The Bible says in Acts 13, here's what the Bible says, that David was a man after God's own heart. Now, interestingly enough, he was an incredible military leader. He was a writer. He was a musician. God did great things through his life. And yet there was a certain dichotomy, a paradox about his life. In this sense, he had a lot of weaknesses. He had a lot of fears and insecurities. Matter of fact, his family was embroiled in, in, in turmoil. He experienced personal tragedy. He ran from his boss named Saul and he hid in caves and he also ran from his son, Absalom, that wanted to kill him. Somebody that experienced the highest of highs and, and yet experienced the lows, the lowest of lows. I said a statement last week and I want to say it again because I think it really uh, outlines and depicts what this series is about. And I want everybody to hear this at every one of our campuses because here's what I found out about the Lord and what he did in David's life. God used David's life in spite of David, not because of David. God chooses, here it is. God chooses to work, not watch this, not around our insecurities, not around our imperfections, but through our insecurities and perfections. In other words, God doesn't wait till we're, quote, totally healed and totally well and all grown up before he does something great in our life. I had a guy tell me one time, I asked him about leading a small group. I said, man, you really need to step out and lead a small group. He said, pastor, he said, I'll be honest, I'm not well enough. I said, time out, time out, time out. I said, part of your healing is when you find somebody else that's worse off than you and you begin to pour into their life and get your eyes off yourself and put it on God and somebody else. When you find somebody else that's hurting worse than you, here's what I found out. God uses and he works through our insecurities. You know, pastor, well, man, I just don't know. I just don't know, man. I'm still dealing with stuff. I, I, I try to be appropriately transparent with you guys. I, I try to share with you the different things that I've walked through and, and, and that, that, that I've, I've dealt with in my life. And I, and I told you about a time, my first year of being a believer, where I was literally tormented by a spirit of fear. I'm a Christian. I know my, my name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I, I'm washed in the blood of Christ. And yet, I was tormented to such a place that I had to sleep with the lights on almost for a year. Now, you may think that's funny, but if you've ever been tormented by fear, it's a big deal. When I would go to sleep at night and wake up in the bed in the morning, it's almost like the devil with his long finger just daring me. I dare you to get out of bed in the morning. I dare you to sleep with the lights. And it was just like, I was tormented by this thing. Maybe, maybe your Goliath 
It's not a spirit of fear, but maybe it's a financial situation you're in right now. Maybe it's a relational deal that you're dealing with. Maybe the Goliath that sticks its finger out in you and, and taunts you and tries to dominate you. Maybe it's shame from your past. Maybe something that you did or maybe something that was done to you. And every, try, every time you try to move out in God, and every time you try to move in confidence in God, the enemy's there to remind you of what you're not, what you don't have. Of, he tries to lie to you. See, here's what I found out. What I found out is, is that our ability in God to overcome these things, I want everybody to hear this, is based upon our view of God. Let me say that again. Your ability to overcome the Goliaths in your life is based upon your view of God. In other words, I want to ask you this question. How big is your God? I'm asking every single person. I want everybody to hear how big is your God? Because here's what I found. Once you discover, watch this. Once you discover how big you think God is, then you discover his strength. Once you determine how big God is, then you discover his strength. See, see, if you have a small view of God, that's what some people have. In other words, God operates in my life 2% of the time. The rest of the time, it's up to me. But I mean, 2% of the time, he'll show up. That's what I would call, that's what I would call a probable view of God. In other words, probably he will, but probably he won't. I'm probably going to have to pull this off by myself. I'm probably going to have to do this. That's what I call a 2% probable view of God. In other words, it's up to me 98% of the time. God will show up every now and then. Maybe you have... Maybe you have what I call a medium-sized view of God. Remember what I said. Once you, listen, determine your view of God, then you discover his strength. Maybe it's a 25%. This is what I call a possible view of God. Possibly he could do it, but possibly he won't. Possibly he'll let me just struggle, and, 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 but possibly he'll just show up. Possibly he'll hear my prayer, and possibly he'll deliver me. But it's possible he won't. That's what I call a medium view of God. Some of you have a large view of God. It's, a, it's still a 50% view of God. What I mean by that is, is that, you know, God shows up more often than the two and the 25, but he doesn't show up all the time. And that's what I would call probably. It's, prob, pro, it's, pro, it's plausible. It's plausible that if, he, if I do enough praying and if I do enough fasting and if I do enough, God will. In other words, it's still based upon my effort. It's still based upon my works. But the reality is God doesn't show up all the time. I, I want to go on record as saying this. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the, God doesn't show up 2% of the time. He doesn't show up 25% of the time. He doesn't show up 50% of the time. He shows up 100% of the time. In other words, God is not just small. He's bigger than that. He's not just medium. He's bigger than that. By the way, he's not just big. He's mighty. And if God is a mighty God, God can do anything. God can heal you. God can deliver you. God can set you free. God, listen, what is strong for man is easy for God. Had a guy tell me one time, you know, I just feel like, I, I just feel like, you know, this is a big thing for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Here's the problem. The problem is we made God in our own image. So in other words, we can deal with headaches, but we have a hard time dealing with other things. We can believe God for $400. Well, that's easy. What about 4,000? Does it really matter to God? I mean, if your view of God is God is mighty and God is awesome and God can do anything. I'm telling you, all of a sudden faith starts rising in your heart. Because listen, the courage that you have in your heart is not based upon your personality. It's based upon your perspective of who God is. Here's what the children of Israel, they struggle, they struggle with, with trusting God. 
Just like us, they struggle with trusting God. And here's what God did. This is a rhetorical question. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah said. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Here's the rhetorical question, all right? Here it is. Is there anything too hard for me? The answer is what? Say it. No. What are you struggling with? I'm asking you. What are you struggling Is it a physical thing? Is it a financial thing? Maybe it's a relational thing. Struggling in a relationship. Maybe it is that addiction I talked about. A thing that just kind of keeps you bound. Like a bungee cord, right when you're, you think that you're free, all of a sudden, you get a little bit of slack, and boom, it pulls you back. What is it that, what is it that you're struggling with? The Bible is so clear that, that, is there anything too hard for God? Well, if you have a small view of God, it will be. A medium view of God, but if you have the right view of God, that God can do anything. That, that God, is the, God can do the unthinkable. God can do the unfathomable. By the way, that's why I love this scripture. Two favorite scriptures in the Bible, Romans 8, 28 and Ephesians 3, 20. Pastor, why do you like Romans 8, 28? I like that because the Bible says, all the mess that I create, God can still do something through it. How many of y'all like that scripture? Come on, three of y'all. Y'all still excited to be in church, but here we go. Here's my, here's my other one. I'm gonna get into David and Goliath in a moment, but I'm trying to build your faith because the Bible wants to build your faith. The scripture says, now him who's able to do exceedingly, everyone say exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. In other words, this is the right view of God. Any view that you have of God, sir, and I just say this respectfully, ma'am, any view that you have of God that is lower than this scripture is not a biblical view of God. And the problem is we make man in our, we make God in our own image. We know that we can only pull off certain things. We know that we can only do certain things, but the Bible says that God is able to do more than that. He's bigger than that. He's stronger than that. He's more, he's bigger than that. Bigger than what we can ask, bigger than what we can think. So I want you to, I want you to evaluate what challenge that you have in light of that. And once you see God for who he is, courage comes to your heart. You start seeing that, you start seeing that addiction from God's perspective. You start seeing that challenge from God's perspective. As long as that, as, as long as your view of God is small, then all of a sudden that thing's a lot bigger than you. It's massive. And it's so looming. But as long as you begin to see from God's perspective, all of a sudden you see that thing is so small. See, the issue is, where are you sitting? Are you sitting and seeing from God's perspective? God is big. God is my. God can handle that. Versus that thing is so big. I don't know if God can handle that. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about David and Goliath. I want to talk to you about a very famous. How many of y'all remember as kids in Sunday school, if you went to church, how many of y'all remember David and Goliath? Come on, raise your hand up. Y'all remember that? Just, I mean, just my, my, my boy, one of my sons really loved, uh, he used to say, Dad, Daddy, re, re, read me David and Goliath. And we had this book, he opened it up and it had kind of this, it, the, the, the book kind of had pictures and all kind of cool things. And he loved that. He loved that. And he loved Daniel and the lion's den. He loved both of those. And he'd say, read David and Goliath, Dad. And it was just, and of course, I would do this sling, and I'd be awesome. And then he'd, he'd be Goliath sometime, you know, and then I'd be back. And it was just so much fun. But it's, it's, it's such a simple Bible story, but such profound truth. Because it's really a story. It's really a story, not, it's really not a story about David and Goliath. It's a story about God. 
It's a story about how big God is. Because the truth is, listen, I'm not a betting man. Some of you guys bet. Now, I know you go to the casinos just to eat the buffet. But the reality is, if you felt that conviction, it's for you. But anyway, I'm not a betting man, but I will say this. If I was betting in the natural, I wouldn't bet on Davy. Small little Jewish boy, and you got Goliath. Theologians say he was nine to maybe 11 feet tall. He didn't have any, you know missiles. He didn't have, he had a little slingshot. I mean, the reality is, is that if you were betting on somebody in the natural, you wouldn't bet on David. But the reality is we don't bet on our own strength. We don't rely upon our own ability. This story is about David's faith in God and how big God was. First Samuel chapter 17. This is really going to help some people today. I want you to stay with me. First Samuel chapter 17, verse one. I'm trying to get your faith where it needs to be. All of us believing in the bigness of God showing up in our life. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. Verse one of 1 Samuel 17, to battle. And were gathered at Soko. Everyone say Soko. Soko was a city in Judah. And again, if you understand the map of Israel, you understand where these things uh, go. Here, here's what it says. Uh, and they encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephrath Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And here it is. So you've got the armies of God on one side and you've got the Philistine army on the other side. Interesting, if you understand the word Philistine, it means those that dwell in villages. Now, it would have been nice, by the way, it would have been nice if all the Philistines would have just stayed over here and, and, and all the children of God could have stayed over here. The problem is there was one Philistine that wouldn't obey and he didn't dwell in a village. He actually got up and he wanted to come dwell in God's village. His name was Goliath. Wouldn't that just be neat if the enemy could just stay out of our life? Wouldn't that be cool if he could just come? You stay, hey, listen, I tell you what, you stay over there, I'll stay over here. I don't mess with you, you don't mess with me. Wouldn't that be convenient? But it's not that way. I mean, you know, Goliath wants to get up and try to come, he wants to come hang out where, where you live. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says that about the devil, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Look what it says. But be sober, be vigilant. In other words, have eyes wide open. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about. He gets up out of his village and he comes over to your village. He gets out, out of his village and he comes and he wants to, he wants to set up habitation. He wants, to, he, he wants to set up in your mind, in your emotions, in your family. He says he wants to, he wants to walk around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, that's not fair. You stay over there and I'll stay over here. It doesn't work that way. By the way, Soko is a city or village in Judah. Judah, you know what Judah means? Praise. Let me tell you what the enemy wants to do in our lives. He wants to get up, come up right up into our mind and he wants to steal some. He wants to steal our praise, our joy. He wants to steal our passion for God. Well, you know, Sunday's good for an hour and 11 minutes, but it's Monday I have a problem with. Can I bring Christianity into Monday? How about Tuesday? How many know the joy of the Lord is your strength on Wednesday as much as it is on Sunday? How many know the joy of the Lord is your strength on Thursday as much as it is on Saturday night for an hour and eight minutes at Church of the King? Are y'all with me? The enemy, look, I'm going to tell you, we got to get this thing down. In other words, in other words, the enemy wants to come set up right in the middle of your praise, right in the middle of your spiritual life. And he wants to mess with us. 
1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me just read right through this. Look at verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. It's about 10 or 11 feet. And then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel. And he said to him, why do you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves. Man, he's calling them out. I dare you, in other words. In other words, I double dog dare you. That's what he's saying. Choose a man for yourselves and, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, and then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you'll be my servant and you'll serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy. Boy, this is just like the enemy does today. He wants to move right up in our lives and he wants to just, he wants to, he wants to try to mock us and ridicule us. And here's what he says. He says, I defy. He wants to defy us. He wants to defy our God and he wants to defy God's children. He says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. You know, oftentimes Goliath comes in what I call the three A's, addictions, anxieties, and attitudes. Addictions, anxieties, and let me tell you, that, that, that Goliath of addiction wants to come and defy you and come mock you. You'll never get free of that. Are you kidding me? You've had that thing on your life your whole entire life. You had it. Your grandpa had it. Your great-grandpa had it. Your whole entire line. Matter of fact, everybody's had that in your family. So that's just part of your family line. Maybe it's an anxiety. Your mama was a worrier. You're a worrier. Your grandma was a worrier. Worry is just part of who you are. You can love God, but you're always going to be filled with anxiety. Bad attitude. You've always had an anger problem. Everybody in your family's got an anger problem. You're going to have that anger problem until you die. How many of you know that's a Goliath that needs to come down? We, we don't have to live with that. We don't have to receive that. That doesn't have to be part of our present or our future. The fact of the matter is, is that these anxieties and, and these Goliaths and, and, and these addictions that try to come and mock us and ridicule us. Let me tell you two things that they try to do. Number one, what happens? What do they come and do? Number one, they try to intimidate us. They try to lie, they try to lie and scream at us and say, don't even try. Don't you even dare. By the way, you guys want to know, you want to know something? This is, this is, this is interesting. The word Goliath means to strip one gracefully, uh, disgracefully, to strip them down disgracefully. How many know that's what those three A's do? To strip you down, disgrace, to mock you, to shame you. And that, that's, why, that, that, that's why some of those, some of those addictions, you, they're, they're done in the secret, they're done in the dark. And to, to disgrace us and to shame us and to condemn us. I never forget when I gave my heart to Christ. I was right at 19 years old. I was a freshman in college. And I knew I was a Christian. I knew I gave my heart to Christ. I knew I was born again. But the enemy would come and, and, and tell me that. And, and, and I've tried it. By the way, I try to be appropriately transparent at church because I want you guys to know I'm called of God as a pastor. But, but I've walked through a whole bunch of stuff myself. And I remember that I was bound, man. I, I was so immoral as a teenager. And I remember when I gave my heart to Christ, I mean, the devil would tell me, you can be saved, Steve, but you're never going to get free of all that stuff, all that immorality, all that sexual stuff. No, no, that's just going to be, a, you can go to heaven. And by the way, you can be forgiven, but you'll never have victory over that. Boy, you ever heard that lie before? 
I've talked to different people that struggle with pornography and they say, Pastor, I'm just, feel, I'm so, I'm just bound in that. I, I just don't know if I can be free. Let me just say this. By the power of Jesus Christ, you do not have to live enslaved to pornography. You do not have to live enslaved. I had a guy tell me one time, listen, pornography is just going to be part of my life. And he actually showed me a statistic of how many men are bound in it. I said, it doesn't say 100%. Hold on one second. That's good preaching, Pastor. That's really good preaching. I'm trying to help you guys. I've been, I've been enslaved with stuff. God has set me free 30 years ago. There was that thing on my... Matter of fact, here's what I did. I told my brothers, I said, man, I, I need to get prayer because I was a Christian, three, four months, I kept falling, I kept falling, I kept falling in that, I kept falling in that. And finally, on a Friday night in February 1988, I went to my brothers and said, guys, I don't want to live enslaved to this stuff. I, don't, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I can be forgiven, but the gospel has to do more than forgive me. The gospel's got to give me power to overcome this. The gospel's not just forgiveness of sins. It's victory over that sin pattern where you don't have to live enslaved to that thing. It's not our strength. It's not our ability. It's the power of Christ. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I remember I went to my brothers and said, guys, I just need help. And they prayed for me. And I kept crying and crying and crying, crying. And when I got up out of there the next day, it's like there was a new strength. Sure, the temptations were still there, but there was a new power to overcome, to say no to that and yes to God. And I want to say that to you today. Some of you guys do stuff late at night on your computer. You're ashamed of it. Let me tell you something. You can not only be forgiven, but delivered from that by the power of Christ. You don't have to. Listen, that Goliath that's sitting on the edge of your computer with that bony finger saying, you'll be bound in this forever. In the name of Jesus, you don't have to live bound in that forever. You don't have to live bound in that forever. The enemy wants to come not only and intimidate you, but also condemn you. How many of you know the devil doesn't fight fair? He puts the thoughts in your mind. By the way, somebody asked me one time, Pastor, does the devil read my mind? No, he can't read your mind, but he can put a thought in your mind and then evaluate your behavior. Look at him. It's sticking. It's sticking. It's sticking. Pastor, what do you mean he can do that? The Bible talks about Ephesians chapter 6, the fiery darts of the wicked one. What are the fiery darts of the wicked? Those are the satanic suggestions from the enemy. So here's what he does. He suggests the thought, then he condemns you for having the thought. Then when you operate and you act out on that thought, he goes, ah, we got him now. We got her now. Well, that's what condemnation. Condemnation is just that foreboding sense that you're, that you're just no good. You'll never amount to anything. Look at you. How many of you know that Goliath's got to come down? That, that Goliath's got that addiction in your life, that anxiety in your life, all that stuff, all, all, all that stuff. That's got to come down in our lives. We can't live in that. That fear had to come down in my life. That immorality had to, all that stuff, that stuff cannot stand to the power of Christ. Now, pastor, how does it? Okay. All right. All right. All right. I understand. Okay. We serve a big God, but how do I practically see that defeated in my life? I'm glad you asked two ways. Number one, the first developing key to developing courage is we've got to learn to focus our faith. Look at David, first Samuel 17. And I would do this with my son. I would do this. I said, I got the slingshot. You got, okay. Daddy, I want the slingshot. No, I got the slingshot. Okay, I'm going to teach you how to use this thing. Here it is. It's, we, and by the way, we actually had a little sling. We had little, maybe it was from David. I don't know. Maybe it was from Target. But we had a little slingshot. We had this little, like, little leather thing. It was so much fun, man. It was just fun. And we would line up all this stuff, the animals. We should try to knock them out. And here it is. 1 Samuel chapter 17, the first key. Here's the point. The moment you see how great God is, courage comes in your heart. 
You're thinking, wait a minute. I don't have to submit to that thing. Watch this. David, all of a sudden, David says, wait a minute. Hey, guys. Hey, 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 hey. I want to crack at that thing. Look at 1 Samuel 17. Moreover, David said, the Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I wrote this down. David knew how big and mighty his God was. It wasn't how big David was. It's not how big. Steve's nothing apart from God. I was enslaved to sin. But it's not about us. It's about God. It's about what God can do. And David knew his secret. He knew the secret was to get his eyes off of himself and to put his eyes on God. I wrote this down. It didn't matter the circumstance. David always focused on God and not his obstacle, not his challenge, not his... If God had delivered him in the past, God would do it again. Question, what are you facing that's bigger than you? I'm asking you that. I'm asking every single one of you that are online right now, Facebook Live, what are you facing that's bigger than you? As long as you focus on that and not God, that thing looks real big. Here's what I found. Whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. David focused on God. I serve a mighty God. My God is able. Everyone say, my God is able. My God is able. My God is big. My God is mighty. Boy, he had that slingshot. Can you imagine what people were saying? I bet you some people were telling, David, come back. You are going to look like a fool, man. By the way, it only takes one person to stand up for God. One person at your school. One person at work. One person. No, it takes one. I mean, God doesn't work with a majority. He works with one woman, one man that says, I'm going to stand up. Some of you guys are the first person that got saved in your family and you're breaking generational curses off your family because you've said yes to God. You're starting a whole new thing, a whole new heritage, a whole new thing God wants you to start. In my life, things are breaking off on my family. Thank God for my parents being Christians. But I, I, I'm, build, I'm, I'm building on where they, they left off. And I, I, I want my kid, and I want to go on and on and on from there. Man, I'm getting fired up. I'm preaching to myself. I'm getting happy just preaching. It's this microphone. There's more power. Praise God. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But it, it does help my voice out. Somebody quickly throw it. No, here we go. <laughs> the question is, what are you focusing on? The Christian life is not a life where we focus with our eyes. We focus not what we can see, but we focus on who we believe. Every time, every time I find myself in fear, it's because I've been looking at something with my eyes. Paul said it this way. He says, we walk by faith, not by what? I don't live by what I see. We don't live by what we feel. Oh, let me tell you something. We feel all kind of crazy things. I feel crazy stuff. How about y'all? Thank God we don't live by what we feel. We're in one day. We're out the next day if we live by what we feel. Feelings come and feelings go. We don't live by what we feel. We live by what we believe in God. We live by who we believe in. Our belief in the depth of our being. We don't live by what we see. We don't live by what we hear. Man, all the negativity around us, are you kidding me? All the stuff in culture today, all that stuff. We don't live, we don't, that, 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 that's called living by your five senses. The Christian life is not a life where we're dominated by our soulish realm and our five senses. We, we live where our spirit is trusting, our heart is trusting in God, the God we don't see. 
That's what caused David to get that slingshot. He's, he's, the Bible says he's, he's walking towards him. He's moving in faith. It only takes one. It only takes one person. It only takes, I remember when I gave my heart to Christ and my, 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 one of my buddies got saved. This two girls got saved. I had two or three or four or five people that gave their heart to Christ. One person, it just takes one. It doesn't take a majority. It takes one person to start a new thing. It takes a one, one, it took David to step out of the crowd. David stepped out. Number one, say, focus your faith. Question, are you focusing on the bigness of God or the bigness of your Goliath? Number two, the second thing is this. You got to be willing to fight. You got to be willing to fight. This, let me tell you, a, 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 a carefree Christianity, is a, that's a panacea. That's a, we don't live in, we're not in heaven yet. By the way, the promised land is not a picture of heaven. How many of I know that? Because the promised land that Joshua led the children of Israel, there were still giants in the land. There's no giants in heaven. There's giants down here. But good news, Jesus is in you and he's overcome the world, the flesh and the devil. And if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, you can win too. Look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, 48. Watch this. So it was when David arose and he came and he drew near to meet David. Uh, uh, so it was when the Philistine arose and he came and drew near to meet David. Then David hurried and ran toward the army to me. He ran toward it. He ran towards that addiction. Heard a guy say one time, let me tell you, if you really want to change, if you really want to change, you better get sick and tired of being sick and tired. When the pain of staying the same way becomes greater than the pain of changing, you're ready to change. Until that pain, until you go, I don't want to live like this anymore. David started running towards that fear. He started running towards that anxiety. He started running towards that thing. He said, I'm not going to live with that Goliath defying me and my God anymore. That's what he did. I'm telling you, some of you guys, we get to that place. We get to that place in our life. He's running toward, running, he's running towards it. He's got his sling in his hand. The Bible says, then David put his hand in the bag and he pulled out. He pulled out a scripture that he learned at Church of the King in the Bible. Come on, are y'all with me? I'm adding a little bit, but it's working. Stay with me. He, he, he put his hand in there. He, he pulled out a smooth stone and he put it in that sling and he threw that thing, boom, into the forehead and he fell down on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. All he had was that sling and a stone. All you need, let me tell you, you and God's word energized by the Holy Spirit coming out of your mouth is a majority against anything you're facing. That's it. That's all you need. All you need is God's word coming out of your mouth. It is written. Everybody say, it is written. When you speak that word against that thing, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his or her heart, it shall come to pass. You've got to start speaking to that addiction. You've got to start speaking to that anxiety. You've got to start. I was feeling fear for seven or eight months, tormented by fear. And I would speak the word of God. You will not have authority of me. I, God has not given me. A, I'm speaking to that fear. You got to learn to speak to it. Listen to what I wrote down. Here's what I wrote down. 
Instead of running from the giant in his life, David ran towards the giant. He didn't see Goliath as too big to kill. He saw the giant as too big to miss. Too big to miss. That thing is big. David was willing to swing the bat. The enemy loves to try to steal our confidence and get us to not show up at the plate. But we just stop. We give in. We say, that's it. I'm just going to be like this forever. God can't help me. Well, he can help me get to heaven, but he's not going to help me down here. That's a lie. That's a lie. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward right now. I want everybody to look at me at all of our campuses. By the way, our prayer team is going to be here to pray for anybody that needs prayer. It took me on a Friday night going to my brothers and just saying, man, I need prayer. You've got to be willing to be transparent with your addiction, with your anxieties, with your, with your attitudes that don't line up to the word of God. Well, pastor, you know, I've just always been angry and anger is just part of my life. Well, anger has been part of your life, but anger should not control our lives. We've got to be willing to put that at the feet of Jesus. We've got to be willing to, to, to allow the word of God, and we've got to be willing to attack that thing in the name of Jesus. We've got to be willing to speak the word. Everyone say, speak the word. Where we're speaking the word against that addiction. We're speaking the word. Listen, I've walked through this stuff. I was such an angry kid, angry kid. I, I, I said this in the last service. Some of you guys have heard this before. You know, my mom, who, who I love my mom. She, she comes to church here and, you know, she has this concept of me as a teenager that, oh, you were always a wonderful kid. That's not what you said back then. <laughs> I was filled with anger and rage. I'm talking big time. I know teenage kids may punch a hole in the wall. I was filled with anger. My mom called the police on me. Literally, she couldn't control it because I was just so angry. But when I came to Christ, let me tell you, let me tell you, anger can't stand in the presence of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. Listen to me. Sexual addiction cannot stand in the presence of God. Drug addiction. Listen to me. Don't immediately discount me knowing that, well, I knew this. Now, don't do that. Stand in faith and believe that in your life, God's word is more powerful than that thing. Are you with me? Well, pastor, everybody's been an alcoholic in my family. So no, 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 no. By the way, everybody, everybody in my past was an alcoholic. That's the truth. My dad was an alcoholic. My grandfather, my family has been drunk for a thousand years. I'm not joking. If you look at there, every one of them's drunk. That was funny, but it's true. Sad. I, I don't have to become an alcoholic. Are you with me? Neither do you. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Come on, are y'all with me or not? That's not your present and that's not your future in God. You can be free in Christ. Let's just bow our heads. If you need prayer, we're here as a church to pray for you, to minister the love and the life of God to you. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I, I've tried my hardest to preach the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can be a free man of God. You can be a free woman of God. Goliath must come down in your life. It can't stand in the presence of a mighty God. If you need prayer for anything, whatever your situation is, 
Whatever your issue is, maybe you're just dealing with sickness or fear, whatever it is, we're here to pray for you as a church. If you do not know Christ, we're here to pray for you as a church. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I've got two minutes. I want every one of our campuses and those that are joining us online or Facebook Live, I want us to be able to bow our heads if you're in a place to be able to do that. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, Jesus is the one who saves. Not Steve, not a pastor, not a priest. They cannot save you. A church can't save you. Your uncle being a deacon can't save you. Jesus saves. My question is, do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure if I die today. I'm ready to stand before God. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever personally trusted in Christ? The moment you trust in Christ, the Bible says you go from death to life. You become a new woman. You become a new man. A new person in Christ. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? The count of three, I'm going to ask you to hold your hand up. I say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I need the blood of Christ to wash me and cleanse me. If that's you, one, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high so I can see it. God bless you there. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, man, right there. Anybody else? God bless you guys right there. God bless you up top. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. God bless you guys right there. God bless every single one of you. You're saying yes to Christ. You're saying, I need Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, to come into my heart and change. Church, I want every single one of us to pray together. Let's pray with those who trust in Christ right now. Come on, let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, come on, all of us, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this, say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. I want you to say this, say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. I take my life and I put it in your hands. From this day forward, I belong to you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. I want everybody to look at me. If you prayed and trusted Christ as your Savior, every single one of you at all of our campuses is a card behind your chair called My Decision. I'm asking you to fill this out. Every one of our guest centers, you can give it to a pastor or up front. We'd love to be able to pray for you. Father, I thank you for the grace of God upon every man, woman, boy, and girl. Lord, teach us to be a free people. That darkness is not stronger than light. That light is stronger than darkness. That the Word of God is stronger than every addiction, every anxiety, and every bad attitude. In the mighty name of Jesus, I bless your people. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we bless the Lord? We love you, God.